0: In 1992, the Food and Drug Administration decided that genetically modified organisms were the functional equivalent of conventional foods. They arrived at this decision without testing GMOs for allergenicity, toxicity, antibiotic resistance, and functional characteristics. The aim of the feed industry is a trillion dollars of profit from royalties every year. And the aim is no farmer should have access to their own feed. The aim is every farmer should be forced into the market every year. All across our country, our people are becoming more and more conscious about the foods that they are eating and the foods that they are serving to their kids. And this is certainly true for genetically engineered food. Americans have a right
1: to know if their food is genetically engineered. Hello, and welcome to Mad Science, The Genetic Crossroad. I am your host, Anna Kavanaugh, and I want to thank you for joining me for the broadcast tonight. This is the very first program of a series addressing different aspects of the GMO industry. The program is scheduled to run weekly throughout the year, and I am so excited about reaching out to you all in this way with the hope of raising awareness about genetically modified foods and what exactly is happening in the biotech industry. When I was first asked to host this program, I was a little unsure about doing it. I felt maybe I would be out of my element uh, or I didn't have the the scientific credentials to make any kind of real impact or uh, to be at all taken seriously. But I have been interested and vehemently opposed to genetically modified foods for a very long time and began incorporating its idea into some of my work several years ago now. But as I have continued to immerse myself in the current climate of this industry, I realize this isn't about scientific credentials somehow purchasing a credible opinion uh, to therefore then have the right to voice what are obvious concerns affecting us all. This is about common sense consumer rights and awareness, and social responsibility in helping to inform others about where I fear we're headed in terms of our human health and evolutionary process. So I felt compelled to find the time to host this program and really felt I would be remiss to pass up the opportunity. So I will do my best to use my voice, hoping it will be of some value in this incredibly important discussion about GMO. I believe it is so vitally important to share the serious concerns over the direction of our food supply and of our health, a direction that is being determined for our species, not by ourselves individually, but by huge chemical corporations and the food companies who support them, and the billions of dollars in profit that are being made by all of them. What is going on here? This is a bigger deal than most people realize, and it has the potential to profoundly impact the lives of everyone on the planet. And that is not an overstatement. I think sometimes when we try to talk about GMO, sometimes what is going on in relation to our food and the genetic manipulations in the processing, distribution, and and farming of these toxic biomaterials around the globe sort of reads like a science fiction film. that that either people aren't aware it's happening or they, they don't want to believe that it is or that it could happen. But the reality is the industry power horses are well known for trying to drive down and discredit anyone expressing opposition toward their GMO science. And that includes other scientists and medical doctors around the globe who are convinced by their own independent research of the enormity in the dangers and risks to human health. And it is these same power horses that dismiss those opposed to them as activists and conspirators, or the scientists are somehow conducting faulty scientific research. Well, I'm sure that I join millions around the world when I say, well, you know, well, no, I'm just a consumer and I want to know what's in my food. Have a listen to what Mark Lapp from the Center for Ethics and Toxics points out in this clip.
0: In theory, the government has three agencies that could regulate biotechnology-generated agriculture. The first and foremost would be the Food and Drug Administration, but it decided beginning in 1992 to allow the deregulation of these crops from its point of view because they were equivalent to existing plants and foods.
1: Equivalent to existing plants and foods. That brings me to an important point. I, along with millions of consumers, want to be told which products and ingredients have been altered from a natural state to one containing spliced DNA, toxins, allergens, and pesticides. Equivalent is not a stamp of safety. It's not evidence of adequate safety trials. And by definition, if something is equivalent to another something, you are still talking about two different entities that are not equal. But most of all, I want to know why the federal protective agencies put in place to protect consumers are failing us. Why aren't they doing their jobs? There are scientists in the FDA and USDA, for example, who have come forward with research that reveals the potential dangers involved with GMO. But the bureaucrats who are administratively driving these agencies override, quietly stifle, and ignore the research of their own scientists. That's alarming, folks. And what's more alarming is the revolving door existing between top policy-making positions in these agencies who go back and forth working for corporations like Monsanto. And so where does this leave consumers, people like you and me? We're on a ship adrift and seriously off course with nobody manning the helm who cares if there's enough lifeboats on board for us all or not. Forgive the analogy, but this is a sinking ship, and our protective agencies and these chemical corporations are willing to watch us drown. As you research what is going on, you'll quickly find yourself in a series of ever-deepening rabbit holes, convoluted and seemingly misleading, but nonetheless tunneling to the same place, and a disturbing place at that. This is a giant puzzle of a lot of players with a lot of intertwined and evolving pieces. Consumers are being led to believe that the GMO industry is in our best interest. One of the greatest claims in the industry is that the new genetic technologies being developed will end world hunger. And along with all this positivity comes something called functional foods, which are foods engineered with built-in vaccines, vitamins, and other supplements for human health and nutrition. Well, it all sounds terrific, and it has to or it won't sell, putting millions of dollars into the bank accounts of these corporations. But the pieces of this puzzle and the motivations of the players trying to put it together, they don't fit. Dr. Ivan Novotny, astrophysicist and spokesperson for Scientists for Global Responsibility, said quote, Even minor tampering with nature is apt to bring serious consequences as did the introduction of a single chemical, DDT. Genetic engineering is tampering on a monumental scale, and nature will surely exact a heavy toll for this trespass. End quote. We are manipulating the building blocks of life, and it is happening with no regulation, no consumer disclosure, and unperfected scientific method. But let's back up. Let's start at the beginning. What is GMO? It's an insidious thing, and a lot of us don't really know much about it. Is it something that is injected into our food? Is the food dipped into some kind of vat of toxins? Is it a liquid in a beaker or something that is sprayed on crops? Let's get to the bottom of what it actually is, what it actually means. GMO, that stands for genetically modified organism. It's not a substance, it's not a compound. GMOs are living organisms and tissues that have been artificially altered in their DNA at the molecular level to bring about some kind of physical change. Now, we all know that genes make up DNA and are individually responsible for every detail in the physical makeup of any organism. Theoretically, nothing is off limits. Every living thing is made up of genetic material, plants, animals, bacteria, what have you and tampering with that material can have drastic results. Keep in mind there are very few steps between a human being and a frog when you get into how genetic code is written. In fact, humans and frogs have been referred to as kissing cousins. So DNA is a tricky business, and tampering with it is even trickier. Every cell contains the equivalent of one8 8 million pages of type text. That is an astounding amount of genetic information. And so to put this in some kind of perspective, when we talk about genetic engineering, we are playing with one gene, like to what would be half a page of our 1.8 million pages. Now, that doesn't sound like it would be a big deal, does it? Like it could possibly have that much of an effect. But the expression of one gene can affect multiple traits just in itself. It's a term called pleiotropy, which describes the genetic effect of a single gene on multiple physical traits. Now imagine mixing and matching millions of genes and the possibilities that could manifest in the physical expression of them. It all boils down to taking a strand of DNA, breaking it apart, and inserting a piece of another strand of DNA. So you are essentially frankensteining genetic material together. You are artificially forcing into existence something that would not and could not otherwise exist. Have a listen to Ignacio Ciappella, who was with the Department of Environmental Science, Policy, and Management at berkeley university
0: what we 're talking about is the uh, the extraction of of genetic material out of a reprodu- reproductive context, a context that has been evolving with this piece of DNA over millions of years, taking it out manipulating it as a chemical, and then putting it back into another reproductive context, where it's going to operate in a different way. This this type of manipulation, the transgenic manipulation, really has no precedent in history or in evolution.
1: No precedent in history or evolution. This is an experiment, and here in the United States, we are all essentially being used as test subjects, and we're footing the bill to boot. GMO science is still considered really pretty sloppy. There is a lot of guesswork involved, meaning that scientists may have an idea of what will happen when they combine A and B together, but they don't know for sure until they do it. So it's kind of like putting different colored Lego blocks together in a particular order, red, white, and blue, for example, and you get a mouse. But if you change the order to say blue, red, and white, you get an armadillo. Now, of course, it's not that extreme, but you get the point. Scientists have objectives in what they hope to accomplish through genetic manipulation, and it is all profit-driven. But the science that they say is behind this is an inexact and untested science, and we are all part of its grand experimentation. And the question is, how do we all feel about that? Now many people think that genetic manipulation in plants has been going on for some time. And they'd be right. But there is a very important distinction between what's been called selective breeding and genetic engineering. Selective breeding, cross pollination, etc., has been going on for ages with the intent of encouraging favorable traits or variations in color or texture. Selective breeding is a natural process and in order for it to work, the two things being crossed must have very similar genetic material, in other words, in the same species. That's how we have all types of dogs, cats, flowers, tomatoes, and everything else we see. Now, if there's too much distance in genetic compatibility, then offspring cannot occur on either side, which is why we don't have cat dogs and petunia beans. But contrary to all of this, is the action of genetic modification which is not a natural process. It takes genes from completely different sources and puts them together. So, for example, genes from bacteria, viruses, and different animals, including humans, are spliced together and injected into the embryonic host tissue of a plant that then goes on to produce something completely different, a synthetic gene combination with unnatural physical expressions. A genetically modified plant is called transgenic. So in the tomato example, we now may have fish genes in the tomato with the intent to prevent freezing. We have sheep with spider genes with the intent to create stronger wool. And those are just two examples of many. But perhaps most disturbingly, in Kansas, they are now putting human genes into rice with the intent of making the plants produce human proteins that are present in breast milk and saliva. And this is all in order to fight bacteria and boost immune systems. And this kind of unregulated experimentation is being backed by the USDA, and that is frightening, folks. So what's the problem in all of this? Well, we may prevent the tomato crop from freezing, but when we ingest the transgenic tomato, what happens to the cells in our bodies? This is one of the core issues to GM foods. Transgenic crops are more easily mass-produced, but scientists still do not know the full ramifications of their effect on humans. What we do know is these plants containing GMO are designed to contain their own pesticides, which we then ingest. There are more and more studies revealing adverse effects in the form of cancer, birth defects, allergies, and other illnesses. Corporations like Monsanto insist that they have conducted many safety studies, but mysteriously, their findings, which are completely biased, always come back as safe, and every other study around the world by more than capable scientists are debunked somehow. Well, here's part of what's going on. Monsanto financially supports certain research departments in various universities, with an implied expectation that research studies will be favorable to their interests. How do we know this? Because scientists who have worked at these universities have spoken out after having been fired from their jobs for not keeping their mouths shut and marching in line with the program when the research results didn't support the agenda of Monsanto. Dr. Ignacio Chapela, of whom I played a clip for you earlier, was fired from Berkeley after publishing a scientific paper regarding the uncontrolled contamination of GM corn. And Monsanto's inexplicable power and pressure it can apply to achieve its agenda doesn't just hold true for universities, but its tentacles reach deep into our very own political system. Michael Taylor, for example, had been Monsanto's attorney before becoming the FDA's deputy commissioner for policy, and then he transitioned back to Monsanto, but this time holding the position of vice president of their corporation. Now, this is the guy who wrote the FDA's labeling guidelines on a GMO growth hormone in milk. If that's not a conflict of interest, I don't know what is. But that's a little too close for comfort and certainly doesn't do anything to bolster consumer faith in the FDA, which is meant to protect us, not protect Monsanto. And Margaret Miller, deputy director of the FDA's Office of New Animal Drugs, was a former Monsanto research scientist. And Linda Fisher was former Assistant Administrator of the U.S. EPA, but is now the Vice President of Government and Public Affairs for Monsanto. And there are many, many, many more. One of the most disturbing connections is Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, who used to work as an attorney for Monsanto. But once on the Supreme Court, he wrote the decision to allow patents on sexually reproducing life forms extending to plants and animals. Now consider the ramifications of that, just for a second. Patent sexually reproducing life forms. Have a listen to Vandana Shiva, who is a well-known physicist and voice on GMO. Here's what she has to say about seed patents.
0: And you can only do that by using multiple instruments of control over the seed. The first instrument, as I mentioned, is the intellectual property laws, covering both patents, as well as breeders' rights that have become more and more like patents. Earlier, we used to have farmers' concessions, you used to have breeders' concessions, they've all gone in the new UPOV, The UPOV 1991, one looks just like a patent law. And interestingly, a patent is supposed to be granted for an invention, a seed is not an invention. A seed exists before you can do anything with it. All you can do with the seed is manipulate it. Manipulation has never been treated as creation. It's often treated as cruelty. I would call GM cruelty to seed. Uh, and yet there has been this claim to invention and therefore a right to ownership. Of course it's very interesting because it reflects a fundamental split, a fundamental schizophrenia. When it comes to owning seeds and owning plants through patents, the same corporations go around and saying we've created something new, it's novel. The word used in the European laws is novel foods. GM foods is not called GM foods, it's called novel foods. And when it comes to people being concerned about the environmental risks, the health risks, it, the same industry comes around and says, just like nature made it. You're doing nothing new. This is like the bacteria in your yogurt and bio, that's why they picked the word biotechnology and shed the word genetic engineering because biotechnology was grandmother making cheese and yogurt and Syngenta and Monsanto were doing exactly what your grandmother did, nothing new. Except grandmother never took a patent. You are taking a patent.
1: Well, this is something we're going to be talking a lot about over the course of this series, including the political revolving door to Monsanto. But patents, what are they doing? Putting a patent on life. The implications of that reality, if you, if you, if you think it through, the implications of that reality and some kind of political, legal, and corporate authority over evolutionary process and ownership, uh, the implications are almost incomprehensible. We are headed in a direction here, folks, that leads to some very frightening possibilities. We're running out of time, and we still need to talk about labeling. Now, many of you have heard about Proposition 37 in California. Biotech companies producing GMO foods spend lots of money to hide the fact that most foods contain them. And by most foods, we're talking 75 to 80 percent of all foods on your grocery store shelves. Supporters of the measure argue that consumers have a right to know what is in their food, that they should have that right to make better, more informed decisions about what they eat and what they feed their families. If this measure had passed, it would have set a precedent in the food industry, and support was huge by Californians. Everything looked set to pass, pass without a hitch, until the big guns came in. The opposition to Proposition 37 was made up of biotech companies like Monsanto, DuPont, Syngenta, and huge food corporations like Pepsi and Kraft, Nestle, and other food companies who support them. They all spent $46 million dollars Blitzing the state's voters in a barrage of misleading ads and false information and trying to scare California farmers by misleading them to believe that if the bill passed, it would be at a huge cost to farmers. Well, in the aftermath of the Blitz campaign, Proposition 37 failed. The main points for those opposing were, it is a deceptive, deeply flawed food labeling scheme that would add more government bureaucracy and taxpayer costs create new frivolous lawsuits, and increase food costs by billions of dollars without providing any health or safety benefits. It's full of special interest exemptions. It authorizes shakedown lawsuits. And it's far too expensive and will cost millions of dollars to label products. Well, India just began to require labeling on all GM products. Two letters at the top of the product, GM, simple as that. Even one short line of small black-and-white text is not going to crumble the financial system. That argument is so insulting to our intelligence, especially when we're watching them pump $46 million that could have been used for labeling but was instead spent to prevent labeling. Why don't they want us to know? If it's not so bad, if it's perfectly safe, then why not conduct independent studies? Why not prove to us, unequivocally, the safety of these foods? And why, one might ask, don't they serve them to their very own employees at Monsanto? The puzzle pieces just don't fit together, my friends. The main GM crops today are corn, soy, canola, cottonseed, sugar beet, and alfalfa, with others on the way. And the thing that we need to understand is is that most processed foods contain ingredients derived from these GM crops, especially corn and soy. So unless you are buying organic or certified non-GMO, you and your family are eating it. It's in your mayonnaise, your ketchup, your jam, your peanut butter, your breakfast cereal, even your coffee. If it's made with corn syrup or soy, you've got it. And this includes poultry, beef, and pork, too, because most livestock feed contains... GM, the next time you're in the supermarket, take a look at the labels and watch your produce. If it isn't organic or certified non-GMO, it very well may contain GMOs. Bovine growth hormone, or RBGH, is a GM additive in milk. News broke recently that they are now genetically modifying cows to produce human milk to provide an alternative to human breast milk. So you can see where this is going. So how long has all this been going on? Well, a long time, since the mid-1990s. If you know someone about 18 years old, they are part of the first generation of the experiment. They've grown up on GMO. It's not too late to protect human health. If we cannot stop the practice or the marketing of GM foods, we can fight for labeling and educate ourselves about the issues. When we are aware, we are able to make informed decisions. And we'll be talking about all of this and more in forthcoming shows, and I hope you join me. So now we'll move on to a special segment of the program called The Listener's Voice, which is where folks out there have kindly taken the time to write into the website with their questions and comments. And to close each show of the program, we'll go through as many as we can. We'll start with Robin. Robin Kilgore. I recognize from my Facebook page, uh, writes in and says, I am so grateful someone has the guts to speak out about GMO. Thank you, Anna. Well, thank you so much, Robin. This is a, a human health and evolutionary issue, and it's going to take uh, legions of us sharing as much education as we can uh, to create an environment of GMO awareness. Thank you for writing in. Uh, Lori Sullivan, another name I recognize from Facebook. Uh, Boy, this is, this is a great, uh, great one here. Anna, one thing I wanted to mention about GMOs that has also been a concern to me is premature puberty in children. This has been happening to so many very young girls, many starting puberty as early as 8 years old. I have talked to other mothers who have young little girls prematurely going through puberty far too young, and they agree that GMOs are the cause of this. It disturbs me to no end that this is happening to our young people today. I feel that when these companies inject GMOs into our food, they may as well say that they are injecting our children with this, also after our children have ingested food with this horrible organism. God only knows what other damage is being done to the human body, but I am petrified of eating, uh, and yet I have no other choice. Laura, you bring up a very important issue. There is, in fact, ongoing research of this, and there is evidence to suggest environmental chemicals are a likely factor. Hormones in food, pesticides in produce, uh, which if they are produced by GMO, are a direct link. Phthalates in plastics and cosmetics are another factor. And this issue just highlights that GMO can affect us in ways we had never anticipated. And that's the crux of the fear. The consequences of manipulating the DNA in the food we eat can manifest itself in any number of physiological factors, ultimately leading to impacting our evolutionary process before we know it has even happened. So this is a great point you bring up, and thanks for writing into the show. Greg Combs, why can't we know what's GMO? Proposition 37 was poised to pass and Monsanto, and all their friends came in and dropped over $40 million into running it down, and it failed. I want to know what's in my food, and I want to know why it's worth $40 million to these companies, money they could have spent on labeling they claim is too expensive to keep me from finding out. Labeling would be nowhere near as costly as they're making it out to be and could be easily put into manufacturing product Lines by summer. Thanks for doing this show. I'm looking forward to the information you share. Very true, Greg. There are millions of us across the country asking the same question. Uh, biotech and food companies seem to be putting a lot of energy and certainly money into hiding GM products. And if it is as harmless as they say, why not disclose? It's been pretty well established that a short line of black ink text uh, labeling these products is not the enormous expense or undertaking that these companies want us to believe. In fact, in India, where they have just recently acquired labeling, it is just done with two letters of text, GM at the top of the package. Certainly not an exorbitant expense. Thanks for writing in, Greg. Angela Lathorn, sorry, Angela Latham, uh, consumers stand only one chance against GMO and keeping Monsanto from taking over the world, and that's to fight their money with our money. Enough of us have to be willing to spend a little more to buy organic fruits and vegetables and the lines of organic packaged products that are out there now, and maybe even concede to having less options. If we hit them where it hurts in their wallets by refusing to buy GMO, that's the only way they'll ever respond. All good points, Angela. Thanks for writing into the show and sharing your thoughts. And Terry Fulstrom writes into the show and says, I don't want you to take this message the wrong way, but isn't it hypocritical for consumers to be pointing the finger at the FDA and Monsanto? We have to exercise our own responsibility for our choices, too. For all the millions of consumers in protest over GMO and it becoming a big issue more of us are aware of, why are we all still buying it? If all the millions of people saying they're against it stop buying it, that would affect the profit margin. Aren't we enabling them to sell it to us? That is a great question, Terry. Really great points. And yes, of course we are. Uh, of course we as consumers have a responsibility for our choices and a responsibility to be informed. But you have to first be aware there is something to become informed about. And for all the millions around the United States who do know and disapprove of GMO, many of those people, really, it's just a concern. They don't even know that there's something to be concerned about. They just are sort of uneasy with it. And then there are multi-millions more who really know nothing about it at all. Many, many people are thinking more about what they eat now more than ever and are turning to organic product lines and produce. But I don't think it would be fair for us to say anyone who opposes GMO that continues to buy the products are enabling the GM industry. With 75 to 80 percent of products containing GMO, there's a mechanism that is controlling our food supply. And people do tend to become complacent, in a sense. When the machine is setting the standard, regardless of what we think about it, it's sort of like, you know, get on the ship or don't. To cut out All GMO products can be very difficult. And while while organic lines are increasing in option, it's still a pretty limited playing field. And for a mother of three trying to feed her family, it's pretty tough when their kids want to eat cookies and crackers and chips and cereal like all the other kids. Or the family who is pinching every penny and barely making it on top ramen, ground hamburger meat, and boxed macaroni and cheese – uh, living paycheck to paycheck who can 't afford the extra dollars to buy organic, which really sorts of really sort of gets into a whole issue of of why should consumers be effectively forced to spend more money just to buy natural products? I mean you know, when did organic and natural become luxury items? Which then leads into an entire argument about why the pervasive nature of GM foods in supermarkets. If they're going to be sold, why are they allowed to dominate the market at 75 to 80 percent? What's happened to consumer rights for labeling, but also what's happened to our options? It is a real problem on a whole lot of levels when someone can't afford to buy organic. And that's a lot of folks out there who are struggling to make it uh, as it is. So we live in a culture that is largely defined by the political and profit machine. Your point is absolutely valid, and and that's what raising awareness and getting the information out there is all about. And the tide is turning. More and more consumers uh, you know, will say, no, we're not going to buy this. And all it will take is the first labeling bill to pass and that will change the entire playing field. Fantastic message, Terry, and something for us really all to think about and to talk about. Thanks for writing into the show. And with that... I've run out of time in the segment. If you'd like your question or comment to be featured on the show, I'd love to hear from you. Just pay a visit to the website at www.geneticcrossroadradio.com and follow the link to the listener's voice. Once there, fill in the form and send me your thoughts. I'll feature as many as I can during each broadcast. Your voice does matter and will help make a difference in both the future of our food and our human health. This show is a conversation, and that's where all change begins. So let's get talking. I want to thank you for tuning in to listen to Mad Science, the genetic crossroad. Please join me every Tuesday for more on GMO. On next week's show, that's Tuesday, January 29th, we'll continue our conversation with an episode named Toxic Promise. We'll talk about the origins of the GMO industry and its purported global benefit impressed upon consumers under the guise of safety, stronger and more plentiful crops, and a world problem solver in meeting population demand for food. In the face of the industry's blatant disregard to disclose genetically modified organisms to the public, are GMO foods really what they promise? If we destroy nature, surely nature will destroy us. For while we may hold dominion over nature, we do not possess its wisdom. Until next time, be well, be healthy, and be informed.
0: Plus.